This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. Movies suck. I know you were going to start, but like, I'm post-movie. <laughs> I, I might be getting closer to watching a horror film, but it is very difficult to watch films. One of the great achievements of this podcast is that you watch one each week. It's taken me eight days to watch Black Panther. So like Thursday last week, I was like, I'd really like to watch that. And it's taken me eight days to watch the end of it last night. It's like a two-hour movie. How on earth? Like, I feel like there is. It's almost like reading. Um, what's the name of our art of tidying up? Amazing woman who's changed my life, and I cannot believe I've forgotten her Marie name. Marie Kondo. Marie Kondo. You know how people Marie Kondo their lives, and you look at them with just envy because you can never imagine getting to that level. To, to me, Shag, that's how I feel with you for a whole number of reasons, including the way you've just got such an excellently well-organized life that you watch movies one per week you're my hero there's all sorts of ways that i get around the reality of having to watch a movie because i think you're totally right right like we are Mm. both parents i know lots of people aren't but once you are a parent you really truly realize that time is finite and you have to be as efficient as possible with things and you don't have time to waste on things like films that go for you know two like two hours plus like 90 minutes is hard like this film for example i watched while Mm. doing some work early in the morning having woken up before adele and golden child so i'm sitting there with one computer playing this in my headphones probably like making a presentation on the other computer while I'm hoping that they don't wake up. So I'm kind of with you. You're right. Movies are terrible. Yeah, fuck movies. Podcasts forever. Podcasts and TikToks are the two best media of all. Pre-movies, though, speaking Mm. of everyone's favourite media, a long time ago, people Mm. treated paintings as... You know, people were like, here's a good painting. I'll stand and look at this for a while. (laughs) So there is an artist... Mm. His name is Vincent van Gogh, as we pronounce in Australia. Mm. Do you know how to correctly pronounce his name? Is it the one that catches in your throat? Is it like Gogh? Like Gogh, kind of? Close, but not right. So we went to the same high school. I had an art Mm. teacher who basically the whole time was like, it's pronounced van Gogh. And made us made us all pronounce that. And like being, you know, a boy in my twenties, I was the worst. And anytime anybody said Van Gogh or Van Gogh, I'd be like, uh, 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 you idiots! It's Van Gogh, <laughs> sounding like Pusha T. But the, here's the thing. Here's the thing. She mm. made me. Well, she didn't make me. I was a dickhead because of something I'd learned from her for like five mm. years after that, and that yeah. wasn't right either. So. To actually pronounce his name correctly, it's mm. Vincent Von, and it's not a G sound. Even it's though, not. Sorry, it's not Von, is it? It's Von. It's not Van. It's Von. Oh my god! Okay. Yeah. So, so it's Vin, we. They say you know in Dutch, Vincent is still Vincent. So it's Vincent mm. Von Hoch. So it's, so it's like a <laughs> no, it's not. It is. It 
Because it starts with an A. I'm like, it's, a, it's an H sound. It's Hoch. Man, so, Von Hoch. It's Von Hoch. So, 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 if anybody even mentions Van Gogh or Van Gogh around you, you can push your T and be like, oh. <laughs> and just even as soon as I start saying Van, you'll be like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> You're not talking about the painter yeah, then. You yeah. must be talking about another another Vincent just, Van something. Just let me... <laughs> I'll let you finish, man. Just, just say that. Because <laughs> I was waiting for you to talk about this painter, but then you said yeah. Van. And and there's no painter around with that name, so I was just going to get confused and just wanted to save you the embarrassment. <laughs> anyway, so... So Vincent von Gogh <laughs> was highly underappreciated in his time, like the mm. inspiration slash writer, but not quite the writer of this film because he died in mm. 1936, 1937. Also like T, actually, arguably underappreciated in oh, his time. Oh, so hugely. Comes back to Push. The only person who's ever better Drake. He just... It just happened. It just like, happened. How, just and he didn't even, he just moved on. And everyone was like, you should apologize. That was too mean. And he was like, why would I apologize? It was the best diss track of all time. It's the best response to being told to apologize. I'm like, well, I'm not going to do that. Well, okay. So uh, there's, there's been all this research recently about how hmm. to deal with being canceled and, or how you stop <laughs> from being canceled. Right. No, no, no. This is true. Right. Okay. And the only way to not be canceled is to not accept it and never apologize. And it's kind of the Trump thing. So if Trump had at any point apologized for anything he had done, he would be gone. We wouldn't have heard about him. But he's managed to weather it all by just being like, oh, it's cool. I did it. Yeah, I'm great. And it's just like, you can't, it's uncancelable, right? Oh my gosh. We said Kanye was uncancelable for a while and there have been a couple of bright sparks. Wasn't there a tweet in 2018 where he was like, don't worry, I realise I've been manipulated and it's fine. And it was like, oh, thank goodness. Like, Kanye's back. And it's like, oh no, that's all part of you being the worst. So Vincent von Gogh died pretty much penniless, underappreciated in his time. Ditto H.P. Lovecraft. Now, today's film is based on an H.P. Lovecraft short story. He was alive between 1890 to 1937. He sounds like the worst dude, right? Hang on one second. Yeah, so H.P. Lovecraft sounds like the worst dude. And as we talk about in this podcast, we need nuance. So H.P. Mm. Lovecraft... Appeared to be the worst dude. <laughs> no, in his earlier years was basically like black people are subhuman. And and he changed, like he changed his outlook as he went through life. But it's really important to note that a lot of horror, including a lot of Stephen King's work, is based on this man's work. And in at least in his 20s, he had some pretty awful views on humanity so i'm just putting that out there like this this is why when people talk about hp lovecraft is a dickhead it's kind of like that's the reason yeah like fuck you hp lovecraft let's just get it on the record we're an anti-hp lovecraft uh podcast well, well i mean well he's so but also roland Barthes' death of the author we're able to sever from the fuckwit creator the engaging creation and i suppose that's what we do i suppose that's why we still argue it, like shag you say jesus trumps mbdtf these days i still as do I, i still do yeah. 
Um, that's why we're still allowed to listen to both albums and be like, we're not friends with Kanye, but he did some <laughs> nice songs that we like to hear. So, like Vincent von Hoch, uh, hugely <laughs> underappreciated in his lifetime. He never made really any money from the stories he wrote. He wrote a couple of really famous and influential horror novels and a whole bunch of short stories. I think it says even towards the end of his life, he would have to choose between paying for stamps to send off his stories or paying for food. So Mm. really never saw any recognition in his lifetime. Uh, All his photos, he's frowning. He looks like he had a terrible (laughs) life. All his photos, he's frowning. (laughs) That's such a great observation. (laughs) I mean, everybody did in the 30s, so it's not like he was alone. But he died at the age of 47 because he distrusted doctors. So by the time he went to one, he had a pretty serious cancer that was in the final throes of killing him. Mm -hmm. But then I was like, wow, so 47, that's young. But then I actually looked at the age expectancy in 1937 and it was only 58. So he was was doing okay. Still eat shit. Like, I'm not about this guy. Like, see you later. And I'm really pleased you didn't get to see any of your impact on culture. But the ideas he's put into horror culture are some of mm. my faves. And I'll admit uh, like, that. It, isn't this whole idea like how weird would it be if there was a big octopus? How crazy. <laughs> in, in a, in <laughs> like, that's a, a that's very, the extent of it. In a, very, in, in a very dismissive way, yes, that is correct. But, Fuck off, H.P. Lovecraft. But his, his point was that we are insignificant to the universe at large and our mm. ideas of morality and humanity would mean nothing to the other entities that exist around us, you know, in the universe and in different dimensions. Mm. And thus that idea that other, other creatures we come in contact with aren't evil or aren't like, don't want to kill humans. They just don't care about these things. And they, they have other, uh, I guess, motives. And I find that incredibly interesting. That's sort of like, that's the thought behind it behind being this, like, creature from another dimension that doesn't really... Like, at least in the books. In the movie, it becomes a giant clown spider. Mm. But in the books, it is this other entity that just sort of feeds on souls, but it's not like it's... It, it, uh, like, yeah, anyway. It's anyway, not sort of evil, like, and cruel and malevolent. It's just like, this is just what... You know, this is just, just what I do. What I do. Yeah, yeah, this is what I do, which I think is super interesting. Anyway, so mm. today's film is loosely based on an H.P. Lovecraft story. It is a capital C cult film. Like, you know, the thing is, horror is and always will be a fringe genre. So a lot of the popular films in horror, and maybe a lot of the yeah, ones okay. that are just sort of semi-popular will be called cult films. You'll probably have yep. more cult horror films than you'll have, like, cult dramas, really. Yep, yep. Great call. But this film is a proper capital C cult film. I've actually been wanting to see it for a long, long time. I've finally seen it. I can kind of see what all the fuss is about, but it's also from 1985, so... And it's also a movie, and fuck movies. <laughs> fuck movies. Did you do a good presentation while you were watching it? Was it a good... <laughs> but anyway, so today on Spooko, we are covering the capital C cult horror film from 1985, Reanimator. Oh, snap. Herbert West is at the top of his class in medical school. How can you teach such drivel? These people are here to learn and you're closing their minds before they even have a chance. What are He's you? brilliant, but a little weird. I've broken the six to 12 minute barrier. I've 
conquered brain death. His experiments have always been unorthodox. It was dead. But lately, they're getting out of hands. And he's just made a discovery that could wake up the dead. Herbert West has affected reanimation in dead animal tissue. What are you thinking? How do you feel? You? 15 cc's of reagent being administered. Once you wake up the dead, you've got a real mess on your hands. Herbert, you're insane! Now what happened? I had to kill him! He's dead? Not anymore. Herbert West brought a lot of dead people back to life. And not one of them showed any appreciation. H.P. Lovecraft's classic tale of horror, Reanimator. Mr. West. You'll never get credit for my discovery. Who's going to believe a talking head get a job in a sideshow? It will scare you to pieces. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Okay. Like he brought a lot of people back from the dead and not one of them said thank you. He's a pretty great it's a pretty great tagline. <laughs> it looked more goofy and looked like I had more of a plot than I was expecting from Lovecraft to be like one day everyone was in the park and then three beings from the sixth dimension freaked everyone out and it was just sort of boring and strange. <laughs> That's what I was expecting. Yeah, it's I mean it's a bit of a different take. It's 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 a Lovecraft story without it being Lovecraftian, if that makes sense. Yes, yes, I completely accept that. That does make sense. Yeah. So before we go into Reanimator though, I would like to talk about another film that came out the year before called Revenge of the Nerds. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, so and I I'm going somewhere with this. There's mm. this has been one of those episodes where I've been thinking about this a bit like as soon as I saw this film I started going down all these different tangents and I was like I need to talk about all of these because did you watch two movies in one week I didn't watch two movies but I've seen Revenge of the Nerds before and there's a particular scene in Revenge of the Nerds that at the time no one well I mean maybe people cared about or at least it meant something to some to some people or at least people realized it, it kind of wasn't on. So, Revenge of the Nerds, that classic archetype of the nerds versus the jocks at a college, and eventually the nerds triumph. But it has this infamous scene that was played as, like, a triumphant comedic scene where this girl thinks she's having sex with her boyfriend who's wearing a costume, but it's actually one of the nerds who's dressed up as her boyfriend, has sex with her, and then at the end, she's like, wow, that was so much better than I expected, and he's like, surprise, I'm actually the nerd, not the jock, not your jock boyfriend. Oh, my God. And she's like, I've got the actual uh, script here. Oh, my God. God, you are wonderful. Are all nerds as good as you, she asks. Yes, because all jocks think about is sports, says Lewis. All we ever think about is sex. So not only is this scene like the beginning of incel culture, really. It's also a rape. Yeah, completely, completely, right? Oh, my God. So so in the last couple of years, the director and the writer, when asked about it, because they they haven't come out publicly and been like, you know, we shouldn't have done that. When asked are like, we regret that, which which I imagine is legalese to be like... It's it's me, like, dusting my hands of things. But, okay, so the director said, I've heard criticism a lot this year because of the Me Too movement. So this was in uh, 2019. Yeah, so he's like, it's the Me Too movement who's really... Uh. That's considered a form of rape because it's sex under false pretenses. At the time, it was considered sort of a switch. 
He added that Betty saying Lewis was wonderful doesn't excuse his behaviour. In a way, it's not excusable, he said. If it were my daughter, I probably wouldn't like it. So that's what the director had to say. The writer said, I regret that. He said, adding that he's written a play for the musical and he eliminated the rape scene. And he now calls it the rape scene. Uh, but what's, this, is, this is what's interesting, though. So... So, like, that's that's not not apologising. Like, that's that's at least going some way, which I, which is better than better than it could have been. What's interesting though, this is what the actress who was actually in the scene said. Mm. In the eighties, we didn't see it as a rape scene exactly. She said, "I thought about it as what a surprise. Stan's got some new moves, but oh my god, it's not Stan. It's Lewis. He just wanted to date me. There's something charming about that. But that being said." Montgomery then said that the blame for the scene should be placed on the director. There should have been one more beat in this scene, she said. Something else, something added, even if Betty hadn't pushed him or slapped him or something. So what I think that actually means is when we talk about things like privilege, it's not you get extra things, it's that you don't have to put up with things. It's the absence of things. And especially in the 80s, and probably less than now, because people are at least a little more aware, but maybe not, Women just had to put up with stuff like this and it was just part of like, you were just like, oh yeah, this is... And to the point where you would have a scene like this in a film and it wouldn't cause uproar because people would be like, oh, well, that's just what women put up with. That sort of thing, right? Yep. Anyway, so there's a scene in Reanimator when I was watching it and I was like, what the fuck? And mm. it's kind of played for laughs and now, if you put this scene in a film now, I swear it, there would be like op-eds about it for a year. You know, it would be, it, it would be so talked about. So anyway, I'll explain a little bit more when we get to that scene. Because it also had some interesting personal ramifications for the cast as well. So oh, it wasn't God. like it went unnoticed. But anyway, look, that's a lot. That is a lot of background before we get into today's film. An amuse-bouche. So, uh, well, it's an amuse-huge. <laughs> an amuse Von It's von Hoch. It's von Hoch. T would say it really well. Malice Busher and von Hoch. <laughs> Uh, All right. So at the University of Zurich's Institute of Medicine in Switzerland, Herbert West, who's our main character and our reanimator, brings mm. his dead professor, Dr. Hans Gruber, back to life. Now, he does it with this, like, syringe Is full of... Is that the name of the protagonist in Die Hard? Yes. Yes. And this is before Die Hard. Okay. So there's... This is another one of those facts. It's like... There's no, no one can draw a direct line. No one can be like the writer of Die Hard was definitely influenced by this name. Yeah, but it's just a weird thing that happened. And I don't know if Hans Gruber is just the first name you try to come up with if you're not Swiss and you're trying to come up with like a Swiss name. But there you go, right? What yeah, an, like there, there are so many little interesting pop cultural tidbits from this film. So anyway, he brings his dead professor, Dr. Hans Gruber, back to life. There are horrific side effects, including, like, there's a lot of... This is a very body horror film. And, in fact, it's probably important to note that this was produced by Brian Usner, who you might remember is the guy that did Society. The f- oh, God. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so... <laughs> he had a thing. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very much a body horror, gross effects sort of film. 
But yeah, so he brings people to life with this syringe of green goo, which reading into it was literally just the stuff they put in glow sticks. So they just opened <laughs> a bunch of glow sticks, put them in syringes, and that became the props for the reanimator. Yeah, that's awesome. The dosage was too large, and that's why Dr. Hans Gruber starts having all these gross side effects. When he dies and he's accused of killing Gruber, Wes counter- counters, I gave him life. It's, he's a very, like, there's a lot of really iconic horror moments in this film, and that's one of them. Okay. Anyway, so later on, he arrives at Miskatonic University in Arkham, Massachusetts, in order to further his studies as a medical student. He rents a room from fellow medical student Dan Kane and his partner and converts the house's basement into his own personal laboratory. Uh, you love it when a tenant does that. Like, <laughs> like, that's awesome. <laughs> but not even that. It's like you and your partner have one room. He has another. Anyone using the basement down here? Is that, <laughs> is that okay? <laughs> So Wes demonstrates his reanimating reagent to Dan by reanimating Dan's dead cat, Rufus. Dan's fiance, Megan Halsey, daughter of the medical school's dean, walks in on the experiment and is horrified. Now, a couple of things happen in this scene. So the rule of all reanimating films, so I'm talking about this, I'm talking about Pet Cemetery, any other films where it's about people bring people back to life and probably shouldn't, is it's always a pet first. The pet always goes feral. So this cat goes super feral and tries to attack them and they have to kill it. Mm. Then it goes to humans. That doesn't pan out well. And then finally it always ends with a loved one. So anyway, so we will will get there. But anyway, so Megan sees this. She's horrified. They're like, you shouldn't be reanimating things. But Dan's kind of a bit interested because Dan's a bit like... He's also a medical student and he's like, well, I mean, if you bring people back to life, that's pretty cool, right? And I think the way that Herbert describes it at one point in the film, which I think is cool, it's like, well, our whole point is to keep people alive and if I'm conquering death, surely I'm doing something that every doctor wants yeah. to know about. <laughs> I'm and helping he, out. And he describes it in a way that you, you... Like, even I'm when watching this, I'm like, yeah, this is... Keep going, Herbert. Use that basement. Go crazy. Anyway, so Dan tries to tell the dean, who is his partner's father, about West's success in reanimating the dead cat, but the dean does not believe him. When Dan insists, the dean implies that Dan and West have gone mad and kicks them out of the school. Barred from the school, West and Dan sneak into the morgue to test the reagent on a human subject in an attempt to prove that the reagent works and thereby salvage their medical careers. The corpse they inject comes back to life, but in a frenetic and violent zombie-like state. Dr. Halsey stumbles upon the scene and is killed by the reanimated corpse. So this guy has gone with Herbert, his new roommate, to reanimate a corpse. It's gone crazy. It's now killed his fiancé's father. (laughs) So good. West injects Dr. Halsey's body with his reanimating reagent, bringing him back to life, but he's also in a zombie-like state. Yeah, okay. Megan chances upon the scene and is hysterical. Dan collapses in shock. Like, are we laughing? Like, yeah, it feels it's goofy kind of, and fun. It's, it's goofy and fun and gross. I sort of feel like this would be like a great musical, is, is my feeling. Like, I don't love musicals, but I'm like, this is a musical. Oh, If completely. there's ever been one. Completely. Yeah, okay. And, you know, all the horror effects are pretty hokey. Okay. So anyway, so Dr. Halsey's, Dr. Halsey Halsey, I never know how to pronounce that, mm. colleague, Dr. Carl Hill, a professor and researcher at the hospital, takes charge of Dr. Halsey, whom he puts in a padded observation cell adjacent to his office. He carries out a surgical operation on him, lobotomizing him. 
During the course of this operation, he discovers that Dr. Halsey is not sick, but dead and reanimated. So he goes to West's basement and attempts to blackmailing him into surrendering his reagent and notes, hoping to take credit for the discovery. At this point, Herbert's like, not on your life. He's like, why don't you have a look through this microscope to watch the reagent work on these like dead cat cells? At which point, Wes clobbers him from behind with a shovel and then messily decapitates him with it. Wes then reanimates Dr. Hill's head and body separately, which I don't really understand because he reanimates the head to talk to it, to be like, how do you feel? What's it like now that you're back to life? But the body sneaks up behind Wes, knocks him out, (laughs) grabs the head and goes back to Dr. Hill's office with the reagent and the notes. Oh, like with a like, right, I'm yeah. getting me. <laughs> I'm going to like, now I'm going to lead an army of like corpses. So in his reanimated state, uh, and by that, it's a, it's a body holding a head sort of at waist height. And, and he's in full intelligence, full alive intelligence. He's, well, he's no, he's him. kind of zombie-ish and he talks very slowly and very strange. So he's like, Pete, uh, I am, I am talking like Dr. Hill right yeah, now. Okay. Because yeah. I guess you can't generate any... Because talking, you need air from your lungs. I the idea, the, the idea of behind the reagent, I think they discuss it, is the human body's just a machine, which is a very Lovecraftian idea, and thus it can be kick-started. Yeah, okay. In his reanimated state... Now, this isn't really explained, and apparently in in you know director's cuts and further scripts, this is mm. explained a little bit better. But in his reanimated state... Dr. Hill acquires the ability to control other reanimated corpses telepathically after conducting brain surgery on them. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit deus ex telepathy. Lobotomies, like I do, feel like there was a there was a uh, phase of lobotomies being a plot point. You remember the shadow or or whatever that, <laughs> that that there was like, oh, don't make me lobotomize out your telepathy <laughs> cortex. And I was like, oh shit, I'll lobotomize you. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so he then directs Doctor Halsey, who is now under his control because he can telepathically control zombies, to snatch Megan away from Dan. While being carried to the morgue by her reanimated father, Megan faints. Well, that's intense. When she Your arrives... Your dead reanimated dad is kidnapping you. You'd be like, oh, wow, this is intense. So this is where it gets really fucked up, right? And uh, it turns out that Dr. Hill has always had a thing for his colleague's no. daughter. And so Dr. Hill's body no, strips no. her naked, straps her unconscious body to a table. She regains consciousness as Hill's body and bloody severed head begin to sexually assault her. He basically, like, it's played for laughs. Like, they take the head and put it between her legs as, like, lol, can you believe that this would happen? And it's just the most horrifying and violating scene. Anyway, here's an interesting point about that scene. So when the wife of the actor who played Dr. Hill, who's the head doing that, saw the film, was so upset by it, she eventually divorced him. So it just goes the to show. Actor, so sorry, he's upset. So the, like seeing what the actor allowed himself to be. What the actor was actually doing, right? So it just goes to show that even in the eighties, when basically like you know minorities, you know in this case women, had basically had to deal with these sorts of sexual assaults just being part of their life. 
people knew it was wrong and people knew that this wasn't cool. Uh, yeah, because that just completely undermines, like, oh, man, it was crazy sort of, you know, for Stephen King to put um, child pornography in his books. Oh, you know, like, that's just what we were up to. We were doing child pornography at the time. <laughs> like, it's it's just an unmaintainable position. And while I'm obviously very upset and sorry that this happened, I'm I'm glad that you raised that element, Shay, to be like, yeah, look, like, this is, like, fucked I mean, it's 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 watching Reanimator again. Like the the film is good, but that moment is really tough to watch. Anyway, so Hill's body starts to play. Oh, okay, so he places the head between Megan's legs, but it's interrupted by the arrival of West and Dan. West distracts Doctor Hill while Dan frees Megan, but at this point, Doctor Hill reveals that he has reanimated all of the corpses in the morgue and they all come to life Mm. and there's like a bit of a struggle and they're fighting back and forth but Megan's able to cut through the lobotomy and the zombiness of her dad and be like it's me and then he fights off everybody enough allowing them to escape in the ensuing chaos West injects Dr. Hill's body with more of the reagent. Because if you remember at the start of the film, when yeah, he brought his professor, he's much, like, yeah. I put in too much and it caused side effects. So Dr. Hill's body begins to mutate super rapidly, uh, allowing Dan and Megan to escape. But Herbert West is attacked, like outside of Dr. Hill's body, one of his intestines comes out like a giant tentacle and grabs West <laughs> and drags him back inside his body. It's really gross. <laughs> Anyway, so Dan retrieves the satchel containing West reagent and notes, as Dan and Megan flee the morgue, one of the reanimated corpses attacks and strangles Megan. Dan takes her to the hospital emergency room and tries to revive her, but she is dead. She's dead. In despair, he injects her with West reagent. After the scene fades to black, Megan, apparently revived, can be heard screaming. That is Reanimator from 1985. Peach? Just tonally, just such wild leaps in tone. Like, as I said, I, I felt like we were watching um, Little Shop of Horrors for two-thirds of that. And then I felt like we were watching a film that ought never to have been made and should be a criminal offence to, you know, it should have been given no, no classification in the regime that we spoke about with Rob before. Well, Peach, to continue your beef with Shudder, this is available on Shudder right now, which is where I saw it. Fuck off, Shudder. Oh, this really, this really closes it. We are open to sponsorship from any Shudder competitor or indeed any just group of people who don't like Shudder. Like, we are about it. If you don't like Shudder, come sign our petition. Come and get at us. Grab yourself a Reshes on the way. Uh, This was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Reshes, what's up?